Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. We bring you fun new glimpses into the world of fantasy and science fiction publishing. Here you'll find interviews with the authors you love, insight from industry professionals, book reviews both succinct and extensive, and more. I'm your host and the founder of Ink Feather Book Reviews, Lauren Zurchin. In Episode 9, I chat with Mary Robinette Kowal. Mary is a multi-Hugo award-winning author, along with an audiobook narrator and a puppeteer. We delve into what it's like to be both author and narrator, and she lets us in on the audiobook process. We also talk about Mary's newest book release, The Calculating Stars, which hit shelves on July 3rd, 2018. Hi, Mary. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for agreeing to talk to me. I was just saying to Mary, I have had her on my list of people to talk to since I started this podcast idea because she's extremely interesting. She's extremely cool. If you haven't had the chance to meet her, you are missing out. Her books are great. Um, Uh You're just really cool and creative and you do fun, weird stuff and I love it. So um, I don't know, just I have all my list of what you do, but like if you describe yourself, how do you describe yourself as, as a professional creative? Cause you've got lots of different hats. So I describe myself as a, it depends on the circumstance, the order that these go in, but that I'm an, a puppeteer an audiobook narrator and a science fiction fantasy author. Okay. You still do the puppeteering. I saw you making some. Okay. So that's, see, that's so cool. I had that as a side note, but I wasn't sure if that was still relevant. So yeah, no, it is. I don't do as much puppetry as I used to, but definitely still do it. And you make them? I make and perform, but it depends on the, the show whether I'm doing both or just one of those things. Sometimes I just build them for other people. Sometimes I just perform. Depends on the client. But again, you can, which is... Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I do both. Sometimes I'm like, and now I will perform and... And make. <laughs> and you also, I mean, this goes along with the, the puppet making, I'm sure, but you're a sewer. You make costumes that are like themed to your books and wear them at cons, which is really cool. That's actually how, well, I don't want to say that's how we really got to know each other. I met Mary for the first time at dinner for Tor Books at Comic-Con a couple of years ago. Yeah, And I had actually remembered her because a few years prior, Patrick Rothfuss had done this competition on on Twitter like who really is me and he had a bunch of different other authors pretending to be him and I could have you got me you were the one who I thought (laughs) I swore it was Pat I could have sworn it was Pat and it was you well you know (laughs) I had uh when when they did the voting I had the highest number of votes I had uh, 41 percent of the vote (laughs) and the only other person who was close was at 15 percent and that was actually Pat Wow. Well, you apparently I'm not the only one you fooled. No, I'm, I'm smug about that. Oh, my God. It was like I was like, this sounds like him. It's just just enough. Yeah. So, you know, it was really good. It was really good. But that's how you were in my head. I was like, you're you. I remember you. You you got me. And that's how we started talking at dinner. And then I was actually on the tail end of one of my calendar road trips, I believe, or a just a road trip. I can't remember. And she lives in Chicago. And yeah, San Diego Comic-Con is where we met. So I was like, hey, I'm hitting through Chicago. Do we want to hang out? And she was like, yeah, well, I'm making a new costume for my upcoming book. And it would be we should do photos. And I was like, this is perfect. So it was really fun. I got to shoot. I think 
I think you actually said we should do photos. And I was like, yes, we should. That, oh, you're right. But that sounds like me. Like, oh, you have your own cosplay of yourself and your own characters. It's great. And I remember, too, from following you on social media, things like you had sewn the dress for one of the dresses that was on the book cover of your one series. So it's just yeah. really, it's really neat to see how all of your your creativities in all these different areas of your life and how you kind of balance them and you don't seem to always like neglect one for the other. You're just kind of doing them all at, at different times. And, you know, obviously things ebb and flow. But what is that like just as as someone who is as you said, there's three different areas that you can say that you do professionally. How is that to balance all those things? Yeah. So, so when I, when I'm introducing myself at cocktail parties, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, so usually I'll just lead with one of them, whichever one's relevant, but sometimes I'll, I'll list all three, but really what I am is I'm a professional freelancer hmm. and, and I have three areas of specialty, but they're all built around the idea of storytelling so for me, I balance the, the three different income streams, essentially, the same way that I balance multiple projects within a single income stream. I look at when it's due, I look at how much I'm interested in doing it, mm -hmm. and, and how much it's paying. And, and basically, I'm setting my schedule based on those three things. And then I do a lot of structured procrastination, which <laughs> is the thing where it's like, well, this one is due, and I don't want to work on it. So I'm going to procrastinate by working on this one instead, and then I'll come back and work on the one that's, that's due. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm the same way. I think that's a, well, I won't say a creativity problem. I think it's like a human problem. I was going to say it's a survival skill. That's it, the way I look at it. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's just, you, you're, it's interesting because having, hanging out with you and I was, you know, I stayed at Mary's place and we were just, I don't know, having coffee and hanging out and I was just seeing your stuff and it, you're, you're the way you balance your life. I think as someone who personally is a professional creative, I, I guess a freelancer as well, if you want to consider it that way, but it's, it's neat to see someone who's doing it and enjoying all the different things and actually, you know, choosing to create the life that actually makes them happy, not just sloughing along and doing things that you hate all the time, you know? Like, yeah. Well, and, and that, that actually is a, a really important thing about the, um, which projects do I want to do? Because my goal has always been to be able to turn down the gigs I don't want to do. Hmm. There's so much that we, we have to do, you know, when you're breaking in where you're like, well, this project is awful, but I'm going to do it. Uh, cause that'll pay the paycheck. And, and so I, I basically, it's a, it's a thing of like, I could be doing a lot more puppetry in Chicago than I am, but it's puppetry that I'm not interested in doing. Mm -hmm. And there's no point, I think, in doing that just to say that I'm performing regularly. I, I loved touring elementary schools when I was doing it, but I, I don't have the drive or desire to do that anymore. So I turn those jobs down. Similarly, you know, I could be doing more audiobooks than I'm doing, but I got really tired of doing the ones that were, um, frankly, rapey. I'm like, I don't, mm. I don't want to participate in that. So I, I turned those books down. So it's, for me, it's, it's like if I'm doing, making a, a life doing careers that I've chosen because I love them, then I want to make sure that I'm actually doing work that I love. And, and that involves, you know, leveling up in each one so that I can turn them down. Yes. 
but but that's what I've worked towards. And it's it's really cool because you now have since you've put the time in and are leveling up. I mean, you your books are excellent. You're published through Tor. You're you know you're out and about with the books and you're doing really cool things with them. The books you're narrating, like the ones I know you for, are I, the first time I heard you was on your own book. Mm. <laughs> I have to say this because it still makes me laugh. I had the most meta experience of my freaking life with you because I was sitting in your dining room editing photos I had just shot of you while huh. listening to you narrate your <laughs> audiobook in your yeah. dining room. I was just like, is this my life right now? What is happening? I'm surrounded by Mary in every possible way that it can be. It was, it's kind of amazing. And it still cracks me up when I think about it because there will never be another experience like that again. Yeah, yeah. that's that's basically my, my version of Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And it was great. I was just like, this is really cool. <laughs> but I mean... I, you know, I'm a huge audiobook person, huge audiobook person. And when I finally decided to start Shauna McGuire, I'd never really done her and I heard good things. And I was like, oh, you're October Day. And that was kind of fun because it was like my friend was narrating these books to me. It was really cool to to hear you and, and have you, I don't know. And I've, I, was, I was checking out your repertoire too. You've done Neil Stevenson. You've done Sherry Priest. I mean, you've got some really good authors that have good reputations under your belt as well for on that end of things. I mean, does that help you get better jobs now too? It does. Unless occasionally it will, will happen where either the, I'm not actually a good fit for the book or the author has the kinds of fans who no one is a good fit for the book. Mm. And, and one of the things that I've learned actually um, because of the Stevenson book is I didn't really have time to prep that book for a number of reasons. And it was huge, among other things. And there were a lot yeah. of technical terms. It's Neil Stevenson. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. But there was there was this one character in there. And I got into the book. And he, he had a name. The, the character's name is not this. But it was something along the lines of Raj Krishnasamy. And it's this international space station. So I did an Indian accent. And then three chapters later, discovered that he had... You know, and then Raj said with his strong Liverpool accent, I'm like, oh, come on. He's British. <laughs> yeah, which is great. I have no problems with that. But I hadn't prepped a Liverpudlian accent hmm. and went home and like crammed it overnight. And it was it was not a good accent. And I got slammed for that on the thing. Rightly so, because it's it's a crap accent. Now, mind you, I will also get slammed for my southern accents, and they'll say things like, they should get a na native southerner, and um, I am from the south. Like, I, 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 I am a native southerner. I don't <laughs> have it turned on right now, but, mm. but, you know, I mean, if I talked like my people, it would be a whole different conversation we'd be having right now. <laughs> but, so, is, uh, anyway, point being that, again, the, the aspect of leveling up is that if I hit a book and I'm like, I don't have enough time to prep this, I just tell them I need more time to prep this. Because, because the thing is, like, if the audiobook comes out late, that reflects bad pressure, right? Yes. But if it comes out crap, it reflects badly on both of us. And, and it reflect, reflects badly on the publisher for the extra week it takes to get, for me to get the book out. Yeah, and I could also see that reflecting bad on the author because if, you know, how many people don't like a book because they have a bad audio experience? Yeah, 
so, so that was a really important lesson for me. It's like, you know, if I get into a book and I'm like, I need more time to prep this, I just tell them I need more time to prep this. This book is more complicated than we thought it was. Do you find as, as someone who has done this consistently enough that you have a, like a routine, like I know in my mind, I guess when I'm listening, cause, because I listen a lot, I have favorite narrators and I, mm. I'm not their favorite because of things that they do. And I'm going to just be ambiguous about that right now. Cause I'm curious, do you have things in your mind? Like, okay, this is what I think defines a good audiobook. Like you're saying the accent correct and different tones or, or like, how do you, how do you, how else do you prep and how do you make sure that you're able to hit those points? So, so there's some stuff that's, that's purely technical, like, are you pronouncing the words correctly? Which is a, a bare minimum that some audiobook narrators do not hit, but, you know. But then there's, so there's a number of different styles, and it, it depends on the house style and, and the listener preference. My preference as a listener, which then drives how I narrate, as a listener, I tend to prefer something that's called an emotionally invested narrator, and I tend to prefer performers who do voices because I find it easier to distinguish the characters. Yes. I have listened to people who do very mild voicing and can enjoy that as long as they're distinct. But, uh, but I'm listening to a book right now and the narrator is, it's a first person narration. The narrator is emotionally invested. It's fun to listen to, but there are times when it's a big group where I'm like, wait, who's talking right now? Hmm. So for me, like writing developed to convey the spoken language. So what I'm doing with an audiobook is I am converting something that is written back into spoken language. And as people, we are wired to, to be able to recognize different voices. We're wired to receive information from tone of voice, from pacing and all of these things. And, and so to a certain extent, you are lying to the listener if you are presenting everything as having the same level of importance by, by your vocal tone. But, but at the same time, there are people who want a neutral read and they want to bring their own interpretation to the words. So when we say, you know, like, what is best? It's really what is best for the listener. And, and so it's, it's like, what do I prefer? I prefer the emotionally invested. But that is, and that's, that's therefore the type of narration I do. Is there an overall preference or is it like split down the middle? Is that something you can even know? I mean, I get cast for part for, for books where they want an emotionally invested narrator because that's the style of performance I do. Uh, because that's also the style of audiobook I prefer. Those are the ones I listen to. And I don't, gotcha. I believe that emotionally invested narrators are more popular, but I don't actually know. Well, because I know like Neil Gaiman narrates his own books, but I wouldn't necessarily say that he does a different voice for every character. He sort of changes his voice, but he's not as, you're right, when I listen to you doing yours, you have a distinct voice for every character. And that's also my personal preference. I love that because I don't have to think. And it's, you've told me, you've told me this because I think I said this to you when we were, I was at your house. I said, I'm amazed that you can like have all these distinct voices. You're like, no, that's just acting. That's just part of our job is to have these character voices. And I'm like, yeah, but as a reader to know that in a sentence you have, like you said, in a dialogue, I know who's speaking without needing be told is, is really cool as a listener. Yeah. And it is, it is something that I trained for, but it is still just, it's still just acting. Yeah. And it's, it's also honestly 
fun. I have to say, for those of you who maybe have not heard Seanan McGuire's October Day series or have read it, she is a character who has this love-hate relationship with this fae who is the king of cats of, of the area of the area the town she lives in and he has you do the best voice for Tybalt and it's so like slinky and funny and I, I love it I can I can bring him out you want to bring Tybalt out <laughs> oh Lauren it is so lovely to make your acquaintance <laughs> that's amazing I mean it's so funny because she's like seriously dude what the heck? And he's just like, he's a cat. He's a cat. He's and a he's- cat. He's a cat. Yeah. I love doing the October Day books so much. And Tybalt is one of my favorites. It's funny because I often at signing tables, you know, I'm there for my own books, but someone will come up and they're a fan of, of both of us. Or sometimes I'll have people who come that are just a fan of Shannon's, and I'm totally down with that too. And, uh, and sometimes they ask me to speak like Tybalt to them. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Okay, I'm happy to, but you have to close your eyes. Oh, Lord, yeah, that's <laughs> you amazing. Do, you do not want to watch me do Tybalt. One of the things, actually, with Tybalt, and this is this is where being a professional narrator comes in handy. I'm doing something in the booth that I, I can't do on the podcast because I have the wrong type of mic here. But I actually uh, changed my relationship to the mic because where you are in relation to the mic will affect the the resonance and the tone. Oh. And so so with Tybalt, I actually I actually move in just a little bit, which means that because I'm not projecting as hard, I can access more of my low end and also I turn just slightly bit more on the mic so again you're getting a little bit more resonance and a slightly darker sound with the mic that we're using. One of the things that you can do in a booth is manipulate that. My engineer isn't doing any of that, but but it is it's a fun thing. And so when I'm doing this at a table at a signing booth, I'm having to project. I can't go quite as low as I can. Yes, but it it's fun. It, those are the kinds of things that are are fun to be able to do. Do you like crack yourself up? Because I I tweeted you. I don't know if you remember this recently. I was, I don't know, halfway through the series or something. And there's a scene in this one book that October has, she's with this woman who's a mermaid, but she's on land. So she's in a wheelchair. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dianda. Yes. There's bad people trying to kill them and they have to get away. So basically October has to hop in her lap as they go flying down this hill to like escape. these. I was losing my shit. I was laughing so hard listening to this. And your narration was great. And the writing was great. And I was just like. I would have completely lost it if I was reading this. I would have just been cracking up because it was really funny. And I mean, I'm guessing that's not being a pro is you just have to hold your shit together. But well, so it's it's interesting, especially with the the October Day books, because they're first person narration. Right. So so a lot of the reason that they're funny to you is uh, actually goes to something that Carol Burnett said back when, you know, with her old, the Carol Burnett show about, you know, how she could do such outrageous comedy without cracking up so much. And she said the, the, the secret is that your character believes what is happening as in, and is invested in it and it is their reality. Oh, yeah. So so those things, I'm like, I'm just with Toby and it's like, we just got to get out of here. This is not yeah. a funny situation. We're being attacked. Meanwhile, she's riding a freaking mermaid down a hill. Yes. I mean, oh my God, it was so, I was, 
I was yes. dying. I had to stop. And I think I tweeted both you and Sean. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. There are very few scenes that I read in books that stick with me like that. And that is now one of them. And it's the yeah. combination of her writing with your narration that, that nailed it for me. So Now, the, the things that are much more likely to crack me up in the booth are terrible writing. Or like crazy sex stuff. You told me that. You had to like say something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like uh, weird, embarrassing she... prison, denim prisons or some shit. Oh, yes. It, it is this. She released his love snake from its denim prison. Love snake. <sighs> yes. Which was followed by like oh, God. four minutes of laughter. One of my other favorites. And it's not a sex one, but... The twins were alike in height and stature. And I'm like, really? They're twins. And height and stature actually mean the same thing. Oh, shit. That's really funny. No kidding. No kidding. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I could just tell you terrible lines all day. We don't need to do that. Well, didn't you tell me that you have, like, a, a pen name for for audiobooks so you, no one knows who you are when you do the smut? I do, which is rarely deployed. And it's not so much... So So I have two reasons for, for when I started using that. One was originally... So So what happens as, a, as an audiobook narrator and an author is that Amazon will put both sets of things on my Amazon author page. Oh. Which, right. So that means that, you know, someone who really likes Shades of Milk and Honey in the Glamorous History series because they're very clean. Yes. Comes in and <laughs> they get the denim prison and the, the love snake. So originally what I did was I dropped my middle name. Um, if you see an audiobook that is narrated by me and there is no middle name, that means that this is this is an explicit book. And then Amazon was like, oh, wait, this is the same person. And then started putting it on the author page again. So I have a pseudonym <laughs> that I'll use for stuff. First of all, I don't use it very often, but it's mostly to control branding. And one of the first books that I used it on, I used it because it's like I had taken the book and had already committed to it and, and honestly needed the money. And I realized that this book was like just really rapey. And I was like, I don't want to be associated with this book. Gotcha. Especially, like, specifically with my author brand. So I don't tell anyone, like, my husband does not even know what the pseudonym is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I also don't want to insult the authors for whom I decide to use a pseudonym. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, even though your logic makes sense to me, I can see, you know, creatives are sensitive. I, I get what you're saying, for sure. Yeah. It's not a, a judgment on quality. It's a judgment on, it, it's like we have different audiences and different tastes. Yeah. Is it different in any way narrating your own books? Yes. Me mentally? Um, no. Um, yes and no. It's not different mentally. There, there are two key differences. One is that generally mine is easier to narrate because it is written in the rhythms that I naturally speak. Gotcha. The Neil Stevenson had these incredibly long, complicated sentences about orbital mechanics, but the man knows how to use punctuation. And so it read really easy. Shannon's stuff reads really easy, but there is a, there's a difference there. So, so that's, that's like the only spot where, where it's mentally easier because I, I you know, uh, the, the big difference is that I have the ability to make changes to the text with mine. And I do not have that ability when I'm narrating someone else's. We record mine 
earlier in the production process than we do other people's. Hmm. Other people I record from the final manuscript uh, because it needs to be it needs to be word perfect match. Yes. And with mine, we record from the first page, first pass page proofs, so that if there are changes that I want to make to the text, I can. Huh. What a cool side benefit. Yeah, and it's it works out most of the time. It works out really well. <laughs> Sometimes, as happens in uh, calculating stars, we'll discover that writer Mary is a is a bitch and has put giant chunks of French into the novel. And narrator Mary does not speak French, nor does writer Mary. Let's be clear. <laughs> but then narrator Mary gets in there, and one of my proudest compliments was that a French listener said that she loved listening to me narrate because she can always understand what I'm saying when I do the French. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, that's delightful. I'm because I do not speak French, but there was this word and it translates as probably in English. And I could not say it. (laughs) It just, it was like, (laughs) so, so we just cut it. I was just like, you know what? I just can't <laughs> say this word, and I, I'm not actually exaggerating there in, in how bad. I just was never going to happen. That's hilarious. You just mentioned Calculating Stars. That's your new book coming out. When is it coming out? It's coming out this summer. July 3rd. July 3rd. Okay, yeah. Tell, tell the listeners a little bit about the, this book and the sequels coming out in August. It's, I, I, I think it's something that people really dig. So give us the, the, the pitch. All right. So the pitch is that this is Apollo-era science fiction that is women-centered. It begins in 1952 when I drop an asteroid on Washington, D.C., which kicks off the space program hard, fast, early, and with international cooperation. Because mm-hmm, Earth is going to die, basically. Earth is, Earth is in some trouble. Yeah. And this is based on the same world as your award-winning short story, is that correct? Yes. Uh, so my Hugo award-winning. <laughs> Ooh, sorry. Um, no, it's okay. Uh, totally I worth would... saying. You must say it because you've earned, oh, yeah. you earned that shit. Uh, uh, so, someone once said, she's very proud of her Hugos. And I'm like, why wouldn't I be? Yeah, like, I would be too. You kidding me? It doesn't make sense that you wouldn't be proud of those. So uh, so it's based on uh, The Lady Astronaut of Mars. Uh, this is actually a prequel by 40 years to The Lady Astronaut of Mars. So, you know, there are certain spoilers. If you want to read the no- uh, the novelette that comes... Because it's 40 years later, you, you know who lives. You know that Mars gets colonized. But uh, honestly, neither of those are the, the question in the book. It's really all about how it gets colonized and who else gets to go. Oh, cool. Okay, so the, and then the second one, The Faded Sky, that comes out in August. And that's kind of the continuation of the same story of how this right. is evolving. Right. So the first book is basically the the push to get off the planet. And the second book is the push to colonize Mars. Gotcha. Okay. Very cool. And I love that it's women centric and women science and old school science. That must have been fun as someone who, you know, your other books were kind of historical England based. This is must have been fun to kind of go into, like you said, Apollo era science. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've been joking that these are historic science fiction rather than alternate history, um, even though there's a perfectly good word for what I'm doing, which is alternate history. But <laughs> but I'm doing the same kind of thing that I do with them that I did with the glamorous histories with my historical fantasy. Uh, I, I wanted to write hard science fiction in the Apollo era. And so, uh, you know, I wanted to write it with punch cards and 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 people doing the calculations. And so I, I had to drop an asteroid on DC to do that. But um, <laughs> I honestly don't regret that at all. But it's one of the things that I have learned as I've been writing this historical stuff is that like the women were there, you know, the people of color were there. They were involved in the real world. It's just when the histories are told, they're focused on the white. And so you know, when I say this is women-focused science fiction, it's not that I'm inserting the women. I'm just... <laughs> Bringing I'm them just, out of the yeah, dark? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm just not erasing them. Wow. Is there anything recently that you've read that you'd recommend? This is like sci-fi fantasy people who listen to this. Weirdly, I'm going to recommend a, a middle-grade book called The Wild Robot. It's, it's science fiction, so it's set in a future where automated robots are fairly commonplace. But, uh, but what happens is a shipment of robots crashes on an island and all of them, all, most of the crates go down except for this one, which is accidentally activated by otters. And there are no humans on this island. It's the robot and animals. And it's this really heartwarming story of this robot and these animals, and it winds up adopting a gosling. It's, oh my God, <laughs> that's amazing. It is such a beautifully inventively told story like the the narrative structure is fun the relationships are lovely the self-discovery the, the the science of it is interesting and it's it's really like because one of the things the robot goes is I am programmed to survive and to be nonviolent, and hmm, I need to make friends <laughs> so I'm going to adopt a gosling and be friends. With the that sounds amazing. That really it's sounds cute. Great. It's so much fun. So, uh, so I really recommend that. On the fantasy side, I just read uh, Torn by Rowena Miller, which um, anyone who likes my glamorous histories will like this as well. It's a secondary world fantasy, which feels like the French Revolution is about to happen. Oh. And the main character is a seamstress, who can stitch magic charms uh, into garments that will keep someone safe. Or, uh, and it, it's just, it's really inventive. And, and she, she thinks about the social implications of things. And, and then uh, the sequel to Amberlow is out, which I just narrated, uh, called Armistice. And if you haven't read Amberlow, first of all, go get that now immediately. Just do not pass go immediately. Go get Amberlow. Uh, and Armistice is a fantastic sequel. And I love that it's a logical extension of the first book and also nothing like the first book. Wow, those all sound amazing. I am always loving recommendations. I love to push other authors' books, especially when other authors recommend them. It's it's great to see what, what everyone's reading, what, what's active and, and, you know, what's getting catching your imagination. So... And are you um, working on anything new? Is there anything on your plate book-wise now? I am working on a couple of different things. I don't know. 
None of them are under contract, so I don't know what's going to come out next. I'm working on a Hitchcockian suspense thriller that is secondary world fantasy, but feels like Northern California. I mean, it feels like Hitchcock, in which dragons occupy the social place that horses do. And uh, and then there's a, a, a murder at a, a, a racing dragon stable. Oh. And so high society and murder and intrigue and all of that. With dragons. Uh, <laughs> with dragons. And then I've got, uh, I was apparently on a Hitchcock kick. Another one that's uh, also Hitchcockian suspense thriller, which is basically Hitchcock's The Man Who Knew Too Much, but on a space station around an alien planet. Oh. So far future science fiction. Fun. But my main character is an 84-year-old southern neurologist grandmother. <laughs> that Those both sound really fun. I'll look forward to seeing which one gets out next. One more thing before we go, tell our audience about your Patreon a little bit. Yeah, so I have Patreon and Drip. So depending on the platform that you prefer to use, they're very similar. Uh, There's a bunch of different levels, but the one that I get excited about is the the one where once a month we do a class. So uh, where we take a different aspect of craft and then drill really deeply into it. Like tonight, after we finish this, I'm doing a class with my drip subscribers on uh, on pacing uh, and specifically how it relates to short story and narrative. So it's it's a lot of fun to to be able to to do these very focused classes um, and have them be able to build because I record them. So that means that uh, even if a student comes in later, I can say, okay, go back and watch the video for this one. Gotcha. And that's that's fun. So I've been enjoying those a lot. And and also when you were asking, you know, how how I balance things, having that reliable income once a month makes a huge difference in my ability to turn down work I don't want to do. And I I love teaching. So it's it's also an opportunity to teach the stuff I want to teach, which then makes me a better writer too. I was gonna say that you you would be a perfect teacher in the sense that you've, you know, got enough under your belt that you know what you're doing, you're, you know, happily and successfully published, you've Hugo Award winning, so you've got, you know, that clout in that sense too, that people can actually go, Wow, and and you know, writing style's great. So I could see that being really fun on a reader end on like a per- my end, you know what I mean? To go, oh, Mary, this would be great. So that's really cool that you do that. Yeah, it's fun. I will make sure we put the links below and we, um, you know, can promote those too because that I think would be really interesting to some of our readers. So also for your listeners, there is a lady astronaut club. You can get a membership card and uh, you can just actually write in. So I'll give you the uh, the Sazi information that you can put in the in the liner notes, so to speak. Okay. Um, but it it's we call it the Lady Astronaut Club, but um, much like the Mister Wizard Club on which it is based, uh, you don't have to be a Mister to be on the Mister Wizard Club. You don't have to be a lady to be in the Lady Astronaut Club. It is open to everybody along the gender spectrum. Very cool. Sounds really fun too. Mary, I'm so glad we got to talk. I'm very grateful that you took the time out of your busy schedule, your diverse schedule. You've got a lot on your plate always and that you were willing to talk about this. I, like I said, I've been fascinated ever since I met you about all these different things that you do. And and I thought the readers would, and listeners uh, of the podcast would appreciate hearing what it's like on the inside to narrate audiobooks, narrate your own books, write and have all these different creative, you know, facets to a, to a life, to a business. So I, yeah, I really appreciate you opening up and sharing some of that insight for us. 
Oh, well, thank you so much for inviting me. And thanks again for the photos. They're beautiful. They were really fun. They were for your book, Ghost Talker, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So that was like a World War One. Is it correct. one? Yes. Yeah. World War yeah. One, like epic with ghosts. It was very, it's a very cool book. And she had just made this period accurate nursing kind of army kind of vibe costume. And it was really fun. We were out walking along with umbrellas and props. Yeah, it was so much fun. Accurate stuff. It was really fun. It was fun on my end too, uh, to do that. So, um, and all right, thanks guys. Thanks for listening. And we will be back soon. Bye. Thanks, Mary. Bye. Thank you.